And then I broke down after prison. I broke down every instance in my life where, and like sort of what I got out of it, what I learned. And going to prison taught me a lot to change completely who I am into the man I am now. But being in the gang was the only time in my life where not a single positive thing came out of it. It was the only circumstance in my life where there was no, I didn't learn a life lesson. I didn't pick up some moral virtue. Nothing of any benefit, no positivity came out of that period of my life. There was positives that come out of prison. There was positives that come from before then. But that specifically, if you isolate the, the time spent whilst with other gang members, I never did I learn anything of any value. Yeah. Not once. The definition, you know, only comes from within. Your own set of values, your own set of morals, your own compass is what's going to guide you into choosing what success is because, you know, for the same man or woman who wants to be a, a you know, CEO of a Fortune 500 company is no less successful than the same person who just would love to have a family and to, you know, get to go on holidays as a family together it's no less successful and that's where I think social media sort of pushes towards the only definition of success is like opulence and I don't necessarily agree with that there's nothing wrong with being financially comfortable and stable or wealthy or any of those things but I don't believe that's where happiness and purpose and that that comes from if your sole focus is money by the time you attain it the, the irreversible damage that gets done to personal relationships in the meantime is, is often irreversible. It's just, most times it's it's impossible to sort of claw back because you can't you can't you can't get time back. So that's why that that balance has always got to be there. That you know there's a time in life to if, you know pursue business and to be successful to establish yourself financially. And but there's also you can't disregard the personal connections that you have in life in order to achieve that. You know, we live in a time now where everybody's trying to live by somebody else's definition of success. Everybody looks at social media and they see the glitz and the glamour and the and the perfect lifestyle and, and, and what they don't see is, the, is, is reality is not that. And people spend their lives like I did for a period of my life trying to live by somebody else's definition of success of that that tough guy that we spoke about is trying to be something other than just being happy with what they are and who they are as a person and and by not having any form of self-reflection to spend time to understand who it is that you want to be and what you would like to become you just fill yourself up with somebody else's version of Mate, that's success. And that's where I've broken out of that now and I have a clear definition of what I define as being successful for myself, which is different to everybody else. But that's how I've found fulfillment. That's why I'm happy with, with where I'm going. Dear people, you have joined yet another episode of A Journey with Bernie. And I'm so delighted that you have. 
Hey, you know that a journey with Bernie is all about the pathway to becoming a more loving human being. It is about how to create greater inner happiness within ourselves so that we control the state of joy with which we approach every day of life. It's about bringing more meaning to our lives. Well, in this episode, um, geez, you're going to learn a lot. My guest is Nathan Flint. Just say hi, mate. Just give them a voice. That's it. Just <laughs> g'day. say g'day, Bernie. G'day, Bernie. Something, you know. <laughs> but I want to tell our listeners about our morning. I met Nathan Flynn. Thank you, Johnny Godwin, eh? Because John was the uh, was the catalyst for our meeting. And on that note, you know John. John, by the way, was podcasted as well. Yes. Here on a yeah. journey with Bernie. Yep. And how do you know John? Uh, I met him through a uh, a gang exit program. A gang exit program, <laughs> correct? Run run by the police. Um, unfortunately, I uh, have a shady past, as you can imagine. <laughs> well, I don't want you to go into that, but you met. John through that program and John of course does some just magnificent work in reaching out to let's just say I call them marginalized youth you know youth who's perhaps start to life hasn't served them well mm-hmm. and um, his program called inspiring brighter futures inspiring brighter futures um, is just an outstanding contribution to to the lives is it particularly of young men or does he have a number of young women? Yeah, it's both it's young both, women as yeah. well. Yeah, and it's I, th- I think as well marginalised or, or even disenfranchised. There's a, yeah, there's a, a lot of lo- yeah, lot of you, younger mate. kids that yeah. um, maybe aren't necessarily a lot are uh, unfortunately have t- terrible home lives. Yes, but there are a portion there that that no don't necessarily come from that background as well. But but maybe. Um, they're not resonating with school, yeah, and, and, and they're a little bit lost, yeah. And, and I think they fill that void yeah. quite well, yeah, yeah. So that's how we came to meet this morning. So yeah. thank you, Johnny Godwin. Who, by the way, John and Archie, Archie the son, we're going to Nepal yeah. together, Exciting. and Nathan. There's my information kit over there because you're going to get an invitation as well, pal, to have a guy like you. Like, wow, mate, that would just be learning every day as we march towards Sagamatha, Mother, Mother Goddess, Mount Everest. Wow, that'd be fantastic. What I want to say to our listeners, however, is this. Nathan walks into Joey's and uh, I receive a phone call because he's looking for me and we look up, we're only two metres away. (laughs) And then he sits down and we start to chat for the first time in our lives. I want to give you a definition of love, dear listeners. Love is when someone talks, introduces gives of themselves so freely, so openly, so transparently as what Nathan Flynn did with me and for me um, this morning at Joey's. I mean, you're going to learn about a very assorted past. Is assorted (laughs) the right word? Um, A past that is so rich in incredible colours and some of them are dark colours and yet, he just sat down and and just told me of a world in which I think, Nathan, most people or a lot of people would have 
taken a step backwards yeah. had you spoken of that world to them so freely. Um, but, mate, like I said to you up there, that transparency and openness and rawness and realness so freely given to a stranger, mate, what a gift of love. I don't, you, you don't see it that way, do you? Yeah, yeah. Until I, until I talk yeah, about it, then you yeah. get it, yeah. you know. Yeah. But, mate, what greater gift can you give to anybody than, than such realness and yeah, rawness? It is, mate, it is the gift of authenticity and solidness from a, another human being, a beautiful, beautiful gift. Well, that's what I received this morning up at Joey's and, and so – to you, my dear listeners, uh, you're in for a, a treat. You're in for a heck of a story, but behind every story are great learnings. Can I ask you up front, Nathan, why have you chosen to be on this podcast? Um, you who have been a member of a bikey gang or two, um, you who have been... Um, may I use the word a victim to, in your own perspective, religious frameworks that haven't served you well? Yeah, yeah, most yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yep. You know, you who have spent how many years in prison? Just short of five. Five, five mm. years. Got a nine and a half year sentence. Yep. Escaped with four. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Got off lightly with four, four years, nine months. Uh. Mate, you... And yet you choose to talk about all of this in a podcast. Why the podcast, mate? I think there's, um, there's, there's not a lot out there and there's not a lot of people that are willing to share, I guess, the pitfalls of, of how easy it is to slip into that lifestyle. And without a – what I was sort of missing was I, I didn't have the traditional, uh, you know, broken home upbringing, but it's very easy, irrespective, to fall into – a path of of no understanding of where you're going and the consequences for the choices you make and and also no direction on what you want to do and who you want to be and I think that you know if I can help people understand you know whether it be parents or you know younger people themselves that you you've got to be conscious of the things that you do and the and the choices that you make because you know they do have detrimental effects in some yeah. cases like myself but also on the other hand that you don't need to be defined and you're not you're not only defined by the worst things you've ever done yeah that you that you can overcome those things and you yeah. can become a different person like I have now yeah and that's the message that I'm really strong on and that I really want to share that it's, yeah. it's not always the the cliche people kids who end yeah. up making the wrong decisions because I certainly wasn't but uh you know the yeah it doesn't discriminate that's for sure sure but it's not also uh, when you say the cliched kids you know the ones that come from you know great foundations um and and uh, foundations that may have served them better than what we're going to learn from you um about your life um but equally mate sometimes the pains and the chaoses and the the uh, the arrival into dark places can actually be the perfect foundation mm. for a maximized life to come 
um, because it provides you with powerful learnings. Can you relate to that? Yeah, I think for myself, especially the the most amount of growth come from you know the hitting the rock bottom type yeah. of thing and going yeah. going through the hard times. I was lucky enough, in one sense, to have all that self reflection in prison. I spent a yeah. hell of a lot of time reflecting on the choices I'd made and and the type of person that I'd become. Yeah, and, and then you know transitioning that to who I wanted to be and yeah. the person I would like to become. Um, so yeah, it's 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 a long, hard, difficult journey. Yeah. But by being able to take that time to self reflect, yeah, you you know, I was able to completely change yeah. fundamentally I, who I am. Yeah, I, I, I suppose that's it gives purpose to the podcast because, in a way, those lessons mm-hmm. that you've learned, if somehow people without going through the hardship can learn those yeah. lessons, yeah. then then maybe you know, life may flow a little bit easier for some. What, why don't we start with where you are? Currently, um, I know there's a, a, a beautiful family yeah, now, yep, um, yep. and I'm aware of Megan. Yes. Yeah. Um, go on, tell us where you met Megan, because I reckon that's a great place to start. <laughs> um, I, I, whilst I was in prison, uh, I, I met her as a student nurse. So uh, she was she was a student nurse for uh, two weeks. I think she was there. Uh, I got a funny question around yeah. that, and, and it's not the obvious one. Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. no, nothing happened. I can promise that. Yeah. That is my question. It's not around about what happened or whether you were able to you know get together when other people weren't looking. It's more about the power of the friendship that developed between. Um, Male and female, mm. uh, boy and girl, um, you know, man and woman. How how important was that in the foundation of whatever love and whatever degree of love exists between you now? And and give us some time frame on that. For how long were you friends in prison? She a nurse. And you behind bars. Well, she was she was only there for the, the for two weeks because she was on a placement for university. So, and uh, during that time, she'd for whatever reason, God knows, because only God knows, she took an interest in me. For, for and uh, she decided she was going to write to me. So that was that was how it started off. So at the end of the two weeks, you know, when she left, um, she started writing to me, and. Uh, over a period of about 18 months or so, we talked back and forth. And uh, so, mind you, I'd only recently gone to prison at that point in time. And then uh would have been sometime about 2017, sometime around there, uh, May 2017, we got together and- Because you, you were, were released? No, no, I was in prison the whole time. So, what do you mean? You, you, how, do you, how do you come together when you- I guess the cliche of- Boyfriend girlfriend status, <laughs> but how do you how do you, how does that get played out in prison? How do you become um, boyfriend? Well, she's not behind bars. No, well, she can come for she was coming for visits once a week. And, oh right, uh, yeah, okay. Yeah. So she'd come up for visits, and we were writing letters. So you know, she was visiting you personally, not yep. professionally. Correct, correct. She was only within the uh, prison in a professional setting for two weeks. So you only met her professionally. <laughs> 
(laughs) professionally for two weeks. And the rest is then expressed through letter. Yeah, letter. And and what, are you allowed to video each other? Not video, Zoom each other? No, no. So just physical. Yeah, and physical visits when she would come up. So once a week or so she could come on like a Saturday and come for a visit. Mate, this is some very powerful woman. Yeah, yeah very much so. Choosing you, what out of a two-week yeah. Hi, Nathan. Yeah. yeah. My name's Megan. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. And 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 assumedly that there's not much actual connection going Correct. on above uh, except for friendship yep. and 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 chat. Yep. And then it becomes through letter writing. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. I know. Um. Well, now you got me curious, mate. This wasn't <laughs> supposed to be part of the podcast, <laughs> but I want you to speak. Could you speak for a moment? What comments do you have on the power of that letter writing? And I know it sounds a funny question, but is there was there something special about the writing of letters and the way that you communicated through the written word that actually created and enhanced the connection? I think so, especially with the outside world that we all live in. There's so much distraction from your thoughts and and the way that you're processing emotions yeah. and feelings and things like that once once it gets put down into a letter form you you have to eliminate all the distractions for so for, as an example uh, to write a like cuz I was writing you know seven eight nine page letters a four size page letters at a time was she writing back the yeah, same correct. volume yeah yeah so you end up with hours on end of no distraction you're just sort of pouring out your thoughts and your feelings and mind you if, especially when you're writing letters weekly which we were um it becomes a lot more genuine and a lot more real because right. you sort of you're digging deeper a lot quicker than you would in the outside world with so many distractions with work and and you know Netflix and and whatnot on TV and social media, you end up the the conversation gets condensed. Ver- yeah. Whereas in open letter form, it was so free flowing and and a lot more emotion goes into writing it because yeah. you you're pouring out sort of everything that you're feeling and you're thinking about at the time. It uh, I think it was extremely effective in. Mate, I told you this podcast was going to be absolutely <laughs> magnificent, mate. That is sensational. Yeah. It completely changed. Funnily enough. It's, it's com- my wife now completely changed the perspective of what I had in life. And that was the journey, the starting point of the journey of defining who I was as a person and who I wanted to become because prior to prior to meeting Meg and us getting together, I was very lost and, and uh, I couldn't define who I really was. And I was, yeah. I was living my life by somebody else's values and somebody else's definition of success yeah. where I started to, you know, through her sort of poking and prodding as a good wife does. Uh, well, then she was your wife. Yeah. Good, good woman. Good woman. She was good yep. girlfriend. Call her what you may. Yep. But could I throw this at you? And, and, and this is not to dilute Megan at all, please. I'm, I'm, but Megan's the recipient. But the actual process of being able to write all those feelings and to write all those thoughts, it's a, it's a tremendous reflective process. You've got to, you, you, you've got to think about before 
what you put pen to paper or at some stages maybe you didn't even think about it. You just sort of like, forgive the expression, spewed over the paper. How beneficial was that to you in helping you to, one, get rid of the lava Mm. out of the young man's volcano that that was erupting inside that probably put him in the prison in the first place? And secondly... How how therapeutic was it to take you to another version of yourself? Yeah, immensely. I think you, you writing those letters, you get time to yeah. process the emotion. Yeah. Where prior to that, I never really had that time. Uh, so, yeah, when you when you're undistracted processing a, a feeling or an emotion yeah. or a hard time or a circumstance, yeah. high pressure situation, whatever it is, when you're undistracted for a period of time. It allowed me to overcome a lot of the uh, issues that I was having. It also allowed me to overcome a lot of the beha- the, the problematic behaviours wow. that I'd had with lashing out and yeah. being physically violent and those yeah. types of things. Poor responses. Yeah, correct. Angry and, responses. Yeah, and being completely, um, you know, beholden to my emotions or my lack of control of my emotions uh, where being able to – especially long form, process things I wasn't happy with. What do you mean with. by long form then? Writing, physically right, writing, okay. just because it, it takes longer. It physically takes longer yeah. to write. Especially writing multiple pages of letters as well. It uh, You stay in the same train of thought for a long period of time. Yeah. It's not sporadically spread apart, yeah. which I think was – now I struggle – like it's harder to do in, in – in life with work and things like that. Yeah, correct. And, yeah. And, and there's no time for it. That's exactly right. But can I throw at you right now, right? Because I think, you know, we all, we're all different and there, there would be some people out there who might struggle to write, but maybe that's because they didn't get the time to learn how to do it. You would have struggled to write what you wrote prior to going to prison. Oh, uh, Luckily, I was writing was a, was just a strong point of mine. You loved it? Uh, not that I ever did it in the past, but yeah. uh, at school, it was probably one of the things I was very good at. I was, I was yeah. quite a good creative But you writer. were spending hours in a mm. prison, mate. Mm. You, you, you would go to a day where you're going to write a, a love letter, yeah. a letter to Megan. Yeah. And, mate, I reckon there were days there where three hours later you just put the last dot on page. Oh, for sure. Yeah, longer than that. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. yeah. No, realistically, longer than that. Can you ever remember writing one of those letters and how did you feel at the end of that process of having written the letter over four hours. I'm making it up now. Yeah, yeah. Well, no, that's the reality of it. It was it was something like that. It was it was at least four or five hours at a time of writing a letter. Um, <sighs> Can you remember how you felt? I would, if if anything, I, w- I would say it's it's like a, I guess a burden or a weight being taken off you that you. You feel like you have a sense of release, of, like a cleansing. Tension. Yeah, like yeah, a correct. Cleansing? Yeah, yeah, and I, I think that's as, as well like beneficial in all relationships. You know, even now, married and being at home, is that um, which is very hard to do. But the the communication being free flowing and able to have longer form conversations, I feel is how 
it's the easiest way to resolve issues because yeah. then you have time to actually listen. I think that was a, a part of it as well, which is hard to translate from letter writing to to uh, real world uh, scenarios at home. Is you have time to process your response to a letter where yeah. if something's being said or there's something going on, you know, because we were still talking as well over the phone right, later okay. on into, into and the And then piece. she would visit you as well. Yeah, correct. So if you were like working through issues and things you weren't happy with, it would be much easier over a letter with, with longer periods of time to yeah. process yeah. to to resolve the problem where yeah. I, I feel even like nowadays, I guess, you know, like every couple, everyone argues and things like that. Yeah. And it, a lot of it comes down to the fact that you're trying to, because of work or, or you know, we've got a young family or something like yeah. that, you're, you're trying to condense resolving yeah. a conflict into a, such a short period of time yeah. that you you rush the response. Yeah. And, you, and rather than listening to what somebody's got to say in, a, in an argument, you're, you're waiting for them to stop so you can get what you want to say out because it's in such a short form i guess it's also why i think podcasting is so effective with getting a message out there for people to develop and and grow is because it's not condensed into a yeah let's speak for five five minutes yeah Yeah, i want to give you a punchline and you're going to take that away and that's going to revolutionize the way you think about things that's impossible for that to be the case i'm going to tell you what my take-home pay is already just by listening to what you just said one there is value in finding the time and space to express without the confinement of time. Mm. And for anybody who wants to, one, get rid of the lava, mm. find that time. Yeah. And even if it means coming to the end of the week and you decide that this weekend – is not going to be going to the party. It's not going to be hanging around with friends. It's going to be time for self. Two, don't be afraid to put those feelings down on paper Mm -hmm. because the process of writing it slows you down to fully identify exactly what it is that could be a blockage or what it is you want to express. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, and thirdly, if you want to entertain the thought of connecting with greater love, then the thought of taking time with your partner to express through writing could be really valuable. Oh, yeah. But at the least, open and transparent communication cannot be compromised by the tightness of time. How did that go? Yeah, well, I think it's very true. There's a a relationship, maintaining a relationship whilst in prison is probably, I couldn't think of too many things that would be much harder than that. You're constrained with time. Yeah. Uh, every phone call's timed. Yeah. Uh, the visits are timed. Yeah. Uh, you're not in control of when you can and can't do those things either. Yeah. Um, so I, I feel like that's where the letter writing as well yeah. sort of breaks that barrier and yeah, broke that barrier yeah, yeah. and, and you know, that's it's not something that can be stopped yeah. at, at any moment. So that's yeah. what I was talking about before, about that unbroken time yeah. of reflection. Love that, mate. Love that. Mm. 
cut to the chase, mate. What, what, what did what did that whole experience do for you? You know, the the process of reaching out to Megan to even have Megan respond back under the circumstances, like you know, hats off to Megan. Mm, all mm. right. Um, what did that mean for you at that stage of your life, a semi-broken man in prison trying to re-establish? I think it's it started to give me a bit of hope and a bit of purpose that there was something more for myself wow. than the, than where I was, you know, yeah. club life and, and jail and Club life, you mean, is that that's that's gang, that's yeah, motorcycle gang club, life, yeah, yeah, gang yeah, life, yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. that's where I, I started to see, let's call it like an alternate option, an alternate yeah. lifestyle, and and I could see it being something real, something that I could yeah. actually get a hold of, and that's where the, that catalyst for change. That's why she was so important in that making the change, because at that point in my life, my whole family were completely absent in my life. The only people that I had that I that I was close with of any description were the people who I was my co-offenders, so the gang members. Yeah, correct. Yeah. So to have to have uh, other another person come into my life who gave me a perspective on on a possibility of something different. Yeah, that was what gave me sort of the the motivation and yeah. the push to completely change the trajectory Mate. I was on. You're lucky to find her. <laughs> Blessed. <laughs> Honestly, yeah, very much yeah. so. Yeah. That whole foundation of how you met and how you evolved together, um, how has that impacted who you are today as man and wife, as um, uh, hu- you know, husband and mm, wife? Mm. Uh, th- how has it impacted the love and the marriage? That you are today. You're like every marriage. I think it's hard. It's difficult because yeah. all marriages are. But um, it gave us a, a. It's given us a lot of perspective on what we were able to overcome because that was so difficult. So we've got a young family now, and that's the hardest. We got one. Yeah, we got one the child. one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, how old? Uh, what is he? Tw- Twenty months now. Oh yeah, so wow, mate! Welcome. Going through climbing well. on everything at home. <laughs> he, yeah, he, oh, we're, dad. We're yeah. Uh, we're renovating at the moment. Yeah, and, um, and on top of on top of that building as well. So yeah, but yeah. it's kept us uh, very busy. But it also that groundwork and that foundations that we laid Serves for well. it's, it serves us very well because yeah. we, we've you know it's in perspective yeah. it's easier to get through the things we yeah. go through now than it was to go through prison Wait, this is a funny question you may say well Bernie the answer might be nothing right here we go but here's the question is even from this discussion right now I'm talking and 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 as you the, the the line of questioning now is making you reflect about that period of your life where you and Megan were, were you're in your foundational uh aspect of your relationship mm. and 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 now I'm asking you to say well what's life like now with Megan is there anything that comes to mind that you think you know what i i i should do something that I used to do with Megan that I haven't done recently. 
pro- <laughs> probably a date night would probably be the be the one. It's, 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 have yeah, you thought that yeah, during this podcast? Well, it's very – we have a lot of trouble, obviously, with a young family. We don't have any babysitters or anything yeah, like yeah. that. It's it's very difficult to, to get any time to ourselves, yeah. which is why I talked a bit about – Understanding that it's very hard for husbands and wives to to get that time together to yeah. to process issues and and to sort of have long form conversations when we got a twenty month old that uh, is a yeah. handful. At, yeah. at, 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 you know, so it that's that's more so what it is. It's it's is making going out of the way to make time for quality time, yeah. uh, which is you know the cliche, but it it is very hard to do once you once you. Life gets in the way. Sure, but when you just said then, you know, date night. Do 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 you actually mean, you know, a night where it's just Megan and I, and we actually give ourselves the space for that open yeah, communication? Yeah, not not so much. Uh, I don't think it's about oh, going to the movies or finding something to distract. That's us. interesting. I, I'm talking. That's interesting. Yeah, purely about a, a, a night of alone time to yeah. to to talk for for yeah. long periods of time. And okay, mate. That I think is something that's missing in a lot of relationships these yeah. days because yeah. of the distractions we have. You beautiful man, um, because guess what? I'm really clear on this after all these podcasts. And guests like you have taught me this, mate. We place far too much emphasis on busyness. Mm. We think that to, to you know play the game in society, we've got to be seen to be busy. Mate, I'm speaking what you just echoed here. Too many people have taught me we got to actually value space. Mm, mm. We got to. You had the space to actually become the man that you are today, albeit in prison. But the, what if I said there's a heck of a lot of people out there who are also in prison, but they're just not behind bars, mm. but they're actually locked into to the game. Yeah, and mate, it's costing them. Yeah. It's costing them love and connection, and the the only way they can they can not the only way, but a way is to find space to be able to keep on recognizing what is really really important. Yeah, you know. Hey, let's go to the space that you found, mate. How come you ended up in prison? What was that all about, mate? Uh, <laughs> some a, a, a string of very very poor decisions is how it ended up there. Um, like duh. Yeah. So I I. Didn't as I said, I didn't really come from that cliche like lifestyle of of you know broken home or anything like that. I was I was raised in a very strict religious household, Jehovah's Witness household. We'll come to that later, eh? And uh, yeah, yeah. And then uh, within a short period of time, probably about a, a eighteen months to two year period of time, I I'd met and started hanging around. The, so what age are you when you met the uh, gang? T- about twenty one. <laughs> yeah. So, and who did you meet? Uh, a gentleman. Was the was like I guess the um, mentor? Yeah, well, he was my mentor at that point in time. Um, gang mentor, gang mentor, of course. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And um, at the start, it was just like cafes, meeting up and having lunch, and no, nothing, nothing untoward. There was no criminal with the gang members. Yeah, just with him on his own at the right. start. Um, and then there was nothing untoward about that. There was no, yeah. there was no mention of gang activity or or anything like that. Uh, it was just. Mates catching up, basically. Yeah, and then there was a slow progression of which now I understand. At the time, I didn't, which is which is a, a progression of of conditioning somebody to violence. Um, I was a non-violent person prior to this. Uh, 
So if I've investigated your school life, you're saying that you're pretty well at school life, mate. You, yeah, yeah. You, you know, you weren't in the playground throwing the punches no, or no, never had any trouble. To even to getting out with the cricket bat. No, and no. even like 18 to sort of you know 21 ish, you know, I was going out to nightclubs and things like that. I never got in any fights when I went out. Yeah, I never had yeah. any altercations or anything like that. And then uh, when I first met the gang, once we got, once it became a gang, yeah. Uh, it's a slow progression. At the 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 end point of the violence that unfortunately I participated in at the end, had that have been at the start, that would have freaked me out because it was it was such an extreme from where I was, and I think that's sort of something that gets missed for a lot of people, especially with younger younger men dabbling in that lifestyle, is they always like me believe that. They have a boundary that they won't cross. Yeah. And, uh, you know, because I wasn't really a violent – well, I wasn't yeah. at all a violent person. You know, it it builds up to a point where I'm convinced that, you know, to be a man and to be a part of this sort of lifestyle, you know, you've got to, you've got to be tough. And Were you the, groomed for this lifestyle? Yeah, correct. Over and what period of time? Is that a year, about, six months? About two years in total. So it took, it took – for the offending to start, it took about, you know, six months. Uh, from before I ever did anything at yeah. all. And it just starts out with um, there's a thing in, in that world that's like calling, giving somebody a black eye, and it, which is literally what that is, is punching somebody in the face for something they've Stop done there, wrong. Mate. Are you saying that, that that's sort of like written in the grooming book of this world is it starts with point number one, it's now time to give someone a black eye? Pretty much, yeah. Yep, yep. That's exactly how it works. Fucking hell, mate. What's stage two? It just progresses from there. So the my my broken nose. <laughs> you laugh a bit. Work. We can laugh about, it, but generally that's generally how it goes. It's not necessarily then defined by different things, but it's a progression of of it needing to be worse because you have to forge a reputation and, and to the, become the man. Correct. Is is this becoming the man? philosophy this this focus is this sort of like the main driving force behind these episodes of violence yeah yeah and as as wanting people is is we talk, talked earlier today about like uh, truly confident people and there's a lot of like uh, in that world there's a lot of sense a false sense of confidence based on toughness and fear and having people fear you and that's where you you uh, instill this sense of confidence within yourself because people are scared of you. So that sort of goes hand in hand with the violent acts. And the reason why they progress is because you're you're being beheld to but sorry, being held to a standard that's not set by yourself. Right. So that's, that's as an example yeah. of a black eye was being the first thing. The black eye then progresses to bashing somebody and I mean like while somebody's curled up on the ground you continually bash them for a period of time over something that has absolutely nothing to do with you most times out of nine times out of ten it's not even an issue with you you're lucky if you even know the person that you're bashing and then it continually progressed from there it went from well that bashing wasn't enough like you didn't do enough damage or the guy you know wasn't didn't go to hospital. Just stop there for a moment. Are you saying that your gang mental is consciously aware 
of where you are at and and is grooming you or is he just sharing who he is and you're gullible enough to take it on board or is this a conscious grooming of you to become more violent? Yeah, I, th- I think it's a conscious uh, effort. Obviously, I was naive as well. Yeah, I was a grown sure. man and made some the, – at the end of the day, uh, you know – I what age are you again? 21, around there. Okay. I, I had the power to, to walk away and say no. Uh, but unlike a lot of people who won't admit, you you get held there by fear, which I mentioned before, is is I was at a point where I didn't know where else to go. And I was genuinely in fear of if it's not me doing the bashing, then it's me on the other end of the bashing. So you sort of get sucked into that go along to get along type of mentality and and whilst not really knowing how to escape and yeah. and I, and that's where I, there's a methodical aspect of it because like I said if if I was introduced to the violence at the end yeah. that with the end progression of bats and poles and hammers and things like that if I was introduced to that at the start that would have been such a shock to my system yeah that I I wouldn't have had any other it would have been so uh, extreme and so for, surreal for me that I would have probably left i would have i would have found an escape whereas when it becomes a progression you start to normalize that behavior yeah and then there's a lot of uh, with self-reflection there's there's a large portion of my life where i dealt with any form of conflict that i ever faced i dealt with it with violence right and it was the only way for me to process emotions or feelings yeah and once yet becomes you're part of your DNA yeah. and you start to live that way, you know, lucky mine got cut short, but that leaches into every aspect of your life, which is, you know, also why things like domestic violence and that are prevalent in gangs. Yeah. Because you can't switch that off. You can't, there can't be become a, an attribute of your life and your lifestyle is that you, you resolve every conflict with violence and then it doesn't leach into every other aspect of your life. But what is interesting, you just said it, it, it became part of your DNA. Mm. Well, if it's part of your DNA, how come you aren't that now? It, my point is, is the obvious one. Is it part of our DNA or is it just the power of program and conditioning of a young man Whoever he is at that time does not have the capacity to recognize and realize the folly or he does not have the bravery or the courage to be what might be his real DNA. Yeah, yeah, correct. Yeah. Correct. I think as well as, you know, not being defined, you're not defined by the worst thing you've ever done. I think it's like we, we, we tend to be more than one person. Yeah. You know, the, the man that I was – you know, six, seven years ago is not the same man that sits here at this yeah. table, even though I've lived that experience and I've, and I've been through that, that changes in my attributes and personality and characteristics. Yeah. I'm also not that same person, yeah. you know, that, that those things don't follow me around. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. and, and a, a lot of that comes from the hard work of, of self-reflection and, and, and the mental gymnastics of of overcoming those types of things which takes a lot of time but not impossible dare i say a most stupid thing i mean 
the benefit of prison time. <laughs> yeah, well, that's exactly right. It's the same as what we talked about with the letter writing. Is yeah. That, that when, you, when, you're, when you're forced to sit with your own thoughts and you have no escape from it, then you tend to be able to make large changes in your personality Mate. because you have so much time. So that's where I found myself. I found myself realizing and, and sort of reflecting on sitting in a jail cell yeah. Laying in my bed at night time, yeah. thinking none of that was worth it. Yeah. This isn't this is not how I want my life to be defined. Yeah. You know, yeah, by yeah, by yeah, this. Yeah. And it's a very hard decision. It was extremely hard for me to walk away from that lifestyle because I didn't have any other support networks. And that's why I was very lucky that Meg happened to to appear. You know? Yeah, but are you saying, therefore, that when, when it came to actually leave prison that there was almost a temptation to go back to that lifestyle? Maybe not when I left prison because I'd made that decision to leave that lifestyle in prison, but it was further into the journey. Wow. Um, you know, I hadn't – well, I hadn't left that lifestyle, if that's what we're going to call it, up yeah. until, you know, for probably the first three years. While you are in prison? Yeah, like I sort of uh, – I distanced myself over time, but the actual cutoff of that lifestyle was not until about you know three years into the to my remand. So, what happened that made you make a decision one day, one week, one month, in which you said that lifestyle is no longer part of me? Uh, a lot of letters <laughs> written written to Meg. A lot of talking. A lot of a lot of like I mentioned is. It's easy for uh, like a little. If I say I've made a mistake and I don't want to do that again, yeah. I can for any for any circumstances for anybody listening can go through this. They can they can make a mistake in life and they say, oh, okay, I'm not going to do that again. But then they never think about it again. And then when faced with the with a similar sort of setting, similar circumstance, they make the same mistake again yeah. because they didn't spend any time to actually reflect on on how to not. Do that again. Well, let's not use the word not there. They didn't actually arrive at a point where they could replace yep. what was that original purpose that led them down the dark path. What did you replace the dark path with when you said, I'm not going to the dark path anymore? Where are you going? I wanted to, I wanted a family is what I wanted. That, that was, that was the, something that was sort of absent with that sense of belonging. I started to reflect on where would I find my sense of belonging, like what was actually the thing that I valued, um, and I wanted to be a father. I wanted to be. I wanted to have my own family. I, I wanted to. Were you married to Megan then? No, no, no. no but no. you, but part of your whole vision and your picture was one day being able to leave prison. Yeah, yeah. Marry Megan, prison, get married, start a family. You know, buy a house. The 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 cliche type of lifestyle, but and the simplistic lifestyle. But that's what I that's what I wanted. That's where I I could see happiness for my future was in being able to be comfortable in what I wanted to do, rather than I'd spend a large portion living by what somebody else defined as what success happened to be, which was, you know, to be a gang member who was feared and when you go out places, people know who you are. Yeah, you'd be the tough guy. And and once I sort of – well, once I realised that I could just be me and I I could be happy with just being me, (sighs) it took a long time for me to get there. Uh, But when I did get there, it was – 
it then became a little, quite a lot clearer as to what I needed to do in order to become that person. A lot of it was about perception, other people's perception of me, and I yeah. and I was I started to reflect on. I do a little bit of speaking with, with some high schools and that, and talking about um, perception being one thing and how defining ourselves and who we want to be, why it's so important. And oftentimes how other people perceive us is whether we actually live up to those values that we sort of set for ourselves. And that's where I, I was analyzing situations that I, I would find myself in. So as a real world sort of example is for the first, uh, significant period of prison for the first, let's say 18 months at least, uh, I was getting into fights and things like that. For, Even in prison? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Over over things that now I would consider absolutely meaningless, but still stuck in that prison mentality yeah. of uh, if somebody said something I didn't like, then automatically me and him were fighting irrespective of yeah. of whatever the cause was or how insignificant it was. We That was like the mentality of it. But then as I started to reflect on I don't need or want to be this – tough guy anymore. This isn't the life that I want. I started to think, okay, if I find myself in this situation again, yeah, how do I want to handle it? Yeah. And what's the outcome that I would like to achieve? Yeah. And in a period of time of about 12 months, I went from constantly being in fights and still dabbling in that, you know, debt collecting and things like that. In Even that, in prison. In, in that, yeah, correct. <laughs> and uh, moved from that to just worrying about myself and just living my, my own. So, and all of a sudden I stopped getting into fights. I stopped yeah. finding myself. I wasn't putting myself in those situations anymore. And even now I find that's a, a useful tool that, you know, I've had times in at work where, you know, a few years ago had somebody spoken to me like that, I would have tried to fight him. I would punch him in the face. But – now I find myself not falling into that mentality yeah. because I have a clear direction of the type of person that I would like to be and the and how I want people to perceive me. Yeah. And my my definition of, you know, we a confident man is very different now to what a truly confident human doesn't have to be a man, yeah. but a, a truly confident person my understanding of that is very different to what it was. So what gives you confidence as a man now? Well, what, what, what is it that's, that's in your life now and you say, geez, that gives me confidence and solidarity as a man? Providing for my family. For me, that's exactly what it is. So I hope you don't mind me saying this, mate. Providing for family is a definition of love. Yeah, yeah, very much so. Yeah, <laughs> mate, you, you you just advocated the purpose of the podcast. <laughs> yeah. In fact, I hope you don't mind me doing this, right? Because I just love listening to these stories, and then I I put them through my own filter, and and this is what I'm hearing. Yeah. I'm hearing that in part, the man who is conditioned and programmed to define himself through violence was rescued by a loving scenario. Mm. Megan walks into your, into your life and even through the process of letter writing and then personal visits, 
love evolves and love starts to slowly but surely rescue the man. Yeah. And then when he, and even during prison, as love rescues him, he actually decides that he wants that life more than the life that he'd been programmed and conditioned to value. Mm. And he actually reaches a decision point in prison where he says, I want a family. Mm. I want love. I want a wife. I want the house. Yeah. <laughs> I want my picture mm-hmm. of what love is. Yeah. And so, oddly enough, he replaces the fear and the violence with the purpose of becoming a more loving man. Very much so. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's very much so. Mate, yeah, yeah. It's blowing my mind, yeah. you know. I'm, I'm, I'm repeating back my interpretation of it, but you're just going there with the biggest bloody smile on your face at the moment, mate, and your head's going <laughs> up and down and, and, and you're, you're concurring with the, with the summary. Well, dear people, you may consider this an interruption to our current episode, but in fact, it is our guest who wants me to extend to you this glorious invitation. It's an invitation for you to join me and many other people from around the world who follow a journey with Bernie because we're meeting up in Kathmandu, Nepal on October the 6th, 2023. Yes, I'm talking this year. What will then follow are three weeks that you will remember for the rest of your life. And in two of those weeks, we are trekking that mighty trail to Everest Base Camp, standing at the foot of Sagamatha, Mother Goddess herself. The most powerful forces of nature upon planet Earth will look down upon you and supervise your progress on a daily basis. The Sherpa will be there to guide you. Are they the most peaceful tribe of people upon our planet? I think so. And their commitment to the philosophy of Buddhism, you just can't escape it. Dear people, this is something in which you cannot return to wherever you live as the same person. This experience will shift the way you see yourself, people and life. Oh, and remember... Before we start the trek, 550 disabled children are waiting for us to join them as community. We built them a brand new school following the earthquakes of 2015. We love them and they love us. We're going to interact, we're going to teach, we're going to play games and in the process it will team us together ready for that beautiful encounter with the Himalayas. Hey, are you interested? That's all I'm asking. And if you are, just take a note of this number, plus 61-412-982-444. Now use it by text or call me. And when you communicate with me, I will have back to you within 24 hours a comprehensive information kit that will allow you to slowly but surely decipher all the information and give you the opportunity to join what is a most memorable, life-changing encounter. 
I tell you what also I hope is life-changing is this particular episode. You know the invitation to Nepal is there, but I want to get back to learning even more because I know in the second half, there is some real gold. Continue to enjoy it, dear people. Mate, um, what was the worst thing you ever did? Um, oh. Is that okay? Yeah, yeah. It's... Because of the lifestyle, it's, the worst thing I ever did was was really it was like bashing my mates. It's it's as a form of punishment. It's such a surreal, odd feeling of uh, of of uh, it, okay to put it as an example. Imagine a, a, you hang around with a guy every day, like every day, your best mates, very close, and then because of something that he does wrong that has absolutely nothing to do with you, um, you've got to. Then with multiple other people, bash him to within an inch of his life um, and then proceed to hang out with him as if nothing happened. And does he accept that? Yeah. He accepts that's part of the- It's like a punishment, yeah, for, part of the for way, doing something wrong. Yeah. Way of the life. Yeah. You used the word there, bash within an inch of his life. I mean, uh, that's a cliche, mm. but- I. Are you, are you literally trying to bash him to that extent whereby you are aware that the difference between life and death is minuscule? I don't know if at the time that was a, a conscious thought. I, you know, this, it's hard. The, um, I think innately human beings know what's right and what's wrong. Um, so during – during the the assault, as much as I can, uh, you know, tell myself that that's the life I've chosen, and I'm a tough guy, and I'm having this internal debate with myself. Um, deep down, I know what I'm doing is wrong. Wow! Uh, and I'm wow. I, there's an internal struggle, so I don't think there's not not a not bashing somebody with the intent of of disregard of whether they die or not, but also on the same breath. Uh, not caring enough or or being um, being strong enough in myself to say okay nah this isn't this isn't right you know yeah. you're like sort of caught in limbo between um, trying your best to be something that you're not which I certainly was I was trying to be somebody that I I wasn't you knew that you yeah. weren't that yeah yeah that it wasn't it wasn't in my we say we're like not in my nature yeah. as a, as a saying. But I, I don't believe it was. I, you know, I don't. The person that I'd become for that period in my life was so abstract from the rest of my life. You were aware, you know, at, at this peak of being violent, mm. you were aware that it wasn't the real you. Yeah. And that it something, it definitely wasn't right because I still felt guilty after, you know, wow. violently assaulting somebody, Put even though. Right. I didn't go and, you know, one of the things that gets brought up in your case, like something that I understand now is, you know, they bring up remorse when it comes to any sort of offending. And a lot of that's reflected on like how you behave afterwards. And, yeah. and as it like, you know, a lot of the the case gets, the, the gentleman that I'm speaking of uh, was, we bashed him senseless, the night before in a cul-de-sac of an industrial estate. And he was, this is at 
eight, nine o'clock at night and he was found at 4.30 in the morning unconscious by a truck driver going to work who called an ambulance. So that's what I mean by um, – that's probably the thing that sat with the worst with me is like I was no longer in control of whether – um, yeah. he, he, he could have died. Yeah, yeah very yeah, much yeah. so. And my, everything in my life would have been drastically different to how it is now had he have died. Um, so there's like a disregard of of his- The consequences. Well, yeah, and the consequences and his well-being because I'm trying to convince myself that- You're that tough. That Yeah, that, I'm that, 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 I'm that guy. I'm that yeah, guy. Yeah. I'm the tough guy. Yeah, you're saying that there still within you was some regard mm. for life. Are you walking away going, I hope he lives? Yeah. In that moment, yeah. Did you ever yeah. think about going back to him after you bashed him at 2.30am in the morning, seeing how he is? <sighs> well, yeah, but like as in a, a, a fleeting thought, yeah. Uh, would I have ever gone there? No. No, no way. because that's not the well, image, is it? Well, and also there there would be drastic consequences for myself, physical consequences for myself. So from like the gang, I, yeah, correct. And like I said, is you know a lot of gang members don't talk about fear because they want to be tough. You know, fear is what keeps you away from uh, yeah. from going in a check, and fear is what makes you participate, even though it's something that is meaningless it doesn't it had nothing to do with me to start with well what's it like being that facade like you 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 you, you, you your description here is of a man whose inner thoughts are saying in some cases one thing mm. but the bravado is another what's it What's it like being that facade, that, in a way, that fake to yourself? It's difficult. It's very difficult. Is it torturous? Yeah, I think, um, especially looking back on it now, I'm like very shameful of. Oh, yeah? yeah, very much so. And I still have a lot of guilt about what I did because. Even now, as yeah, you speak about yeah, it. Yeah, because wow. it's, it's, it's a very poor reflection of the type of person that anybody would want to be. Um, but it's a very poor reflection of the guy who you are. Yeah. Because I'm meeting him now. Yeah. But I think environment plays the biggest role in, in that. If I'd surround, I chose to surround myself with people who normalize that, that thought yeah. that that was, that was just a way of going through life. And yeah. that's where I feel a lot of people, especially in my situation, can come unstuck because they end up in the same sort of what they get into yeah. is very different to the reality. Yeah. And that's where that sort of conditioning and the coercive control and the manipulation yeah. comes into it because if you show people the end result, yeah. the overwhelming majority will go, whoa, no yeah, thanks. Yeah, 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 but yeah. the reason why so many, especially young kids, get dragged into this is because they don't see the end result until it's too late. Yeah. You know, there's numerous uh, young men sitting in jail who have committed crimes that had, you know, murders and, and shootings and things like that that have absolutely nothing to do with them. And maybe had no but, intention of ending up yep, there. Yeah. yeah. And and but at the moment where they're faced with the yeah. situation where it's it's either you do it or or your yeah. your your head's on the block. Yeah. Then you're at a point where it's too late for most people and then they, they follow through with it. And, yeah. 
and you can't take it back after the fact. Yeah, yeah. Hey, you met some nasty bastards. Mm. You, you know, you, you, you met them in the gang. You would have met some in prison. Yeah. All right. How many did you actually meet where you actually felt they had no regard for life whatsoever? I'm, I'm not, no names here, of course. No, 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 no. no, 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 no. Yeah. But what, what, what I'm trying to ascertain here is, is I find it absolutely fascinating that so many who you've met in the gang are leading this violent life. And and also in prison, you met you you met them as a result of some violence mm. in in their in their life. Otherwise, they may not have been there unless it was fraud, mm. um, or, or or some lighter violent crimes. But how many did you actually meet where you went? You have no regard, not even an ounce for life. Not many, not many. There are a few, yeah, but there aren't many. That's why I sort of was saying a, a lot about a lot of won't talk about fear. Yeah. Because the overwhelming majority are not that way. They aren't remorseless and they aren't void of morals. Yeah. But they they're conditioning and deluding their 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 perception of reality to yeah. sort of conform to somebody else's yeah. views. I've met a few. I've yeah. met a few that are psychopaths. Yeah. Genuine psychopaths. Their perception of reality is not what we see. Right. So that's an illness. Potentially, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but the, you, you do, uh, you, f- you feel differently yeah. about these people. The, there's been a few that I've met where you can feel that something's different. Yeah. Yeah. They're, yeah. They're, I don't know, hard, it's, a hard, yeah. it's a hard thing to explain because it's not necessarily said by words or anything like that. No. It's just they're, they're, something's not right. But your biggest that. point to me is, is that even in that world – both worlds, the gang world and the prison world, you actually have recognised that human beings in in general, the far greater majority of them, even those that have ended up there, there is innately this respect for life. Mm. Yeah? Yeah. 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 Which I find find that just interesting. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mate, um, fascinating, fascinating stuff. And, of course, what's that got to do with a podcast about love, <laughs> happiness and meaning? Well, it, it, it has a bit to do with it because we've also got to be aware of what distracts us mm. from, from being the, the being that we can be. And we've got to be aware that in this society's paradigms of success – that's all around us, the calling for us marching down a particular pathway. We've also got to be aware of the things that society gives us that distracts us. Mm. And please, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but there's a heck of a lot of media that dictates the way people think and see things. Yeah. That's what that's what we're talking about here. Especially yeah, in yeah. Like the social media world is, you know, we live in a time now where everybody's trying to live by somebody else's definition of success. Everybody looks at social media and they see the glitz and the glamour and the, and the perfect lifestyle. And, and, and what they don't see is the, is, is reality is not that. And people spend their lives like I did for a period of my life, trying to live by somebody else's definition of success. of that, that tough guy that we spoke about 
is trying to be something other than just being happy with what they are and who they are as a person. And, and by not having any form of self-reflection to spend time to understand who it is that you want to be and yeah. what you would like to become, you just fill yourself up with somebody else's version of Mate, that's success. And that's where I've broken out of that now and I have a clear definition of what I define as being successful for myself, which is different to everybody else. But that's how I've found fulfillment. That's why I'm happy with, with where I'm going. Mate, at the start of every podcast, I have three excerpts. I'm going to let you know now. That's one of them, <laughs> what you just said. Yeah. What's your definition of success now for you? Um, for me, is is a happy family is number one. Is you know, I enjoy being a provider for my family and I love that my wife's raising our children and hopefully you know some more to come but that's my number one priority is is affording um a, a, a lifestyle and a comfortability in my home life that i certainly wasn't afforded as as a child and growing yeah. up and stability is a is a big thing that's more so what i mean uh, I'm i'm not one for flashy cars and materialistic type of things um it's more so the stability and the opportunities that come from being financially stable, yeah. um, which is important to me. And success is a lot to do with, for me, is perception is not being defined by the horrible things that I've done. It's more being defined by somebody who's you know, able to give back and able to hopefully teach a lesson yeah. to other people maybe not necessarily going down the prison path or anything like that, but people who maybe are struggling just in life in general, they're struggling with high pressure situations. They're struggling with uh, a sense of purpose and a sense of belonging, which are things that I struggled my whole life with, uh, you know, up until now. And that's why it is important to understand that the, uh, the definition, you know, only comes from within your mm. own set of values, your own set of morals, your own compass is what's going to guide you into choosing what success is because, you know, for the same man or woman who wants to be a, a you know, CEO of a Fortune 500 company is no less successful than the same person who just would love to have a family and to, you know, get to go on holidays as a family together. It's no less successful and that's where I think social media sort of pushes towards the only definition of success is like opulence and I don't necessarily agree with that. There's nothing wrong with being financially comfortable and stable or wealthy or any of those things. But I don't believe that's where happiness and purpose and that, that comes from. Wow. And I think a lot of wealthy people would attest to that is what do you do when you've made all the money? Because if yeah. you don't have a purpose in life, it's quite empty. Yeah, money will afford you opportunities in life and you can go do things and you can eat it, you know, but – how many fancy steak dinners, you know, can can you have if you have no genuine purpose and no fulfilment in life? Then it is quite empty. Respond to this: huh? the danger of the opulence is that there is no limit. Mm, very correct. You always want more, mm, mm. and so you 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 said something there before about like like you didn't say it in these words but how rich is rich yeah well the yeah. danger there is there's always richer yep yep and so the chase then becomes 
the more. Mm. And then you you run the risk of being grossly distracted from the world that you're talking about, which is one of sufficiency. Um, there is enough. Yeah. And there is a, a lifestyle that comes with sufficiency and enough that gives you space mm -hmm. to guarantee love, happiness and meaning. Yeah. Particularly with those that become your treasured ones. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And you can't be void as well of if you if your sole focus is let's say it's money. If your sole focus is money, by the time you attain it, the the irreversible damage that gets done to personal relationships in the meantime is is often irreversible. It's, it's most times it's it's impossible to sort of claw back because you ca you can't you can't get time back. Yeah. So that's why that that balance has always got to be there. That you know, there's a time in life to if you know pursue business and to be successful to establish yourself financially and but there's also you can't disregard the personal connections that you have in life in order to achieve that yeah and that's where i think there's a fine line that a lot of people don't really know how to distinguish that it becomes all or nothing in one way yeah this is why um a couple of podcasts ago, and, and, I, and I can't remember who stimulated the, the whole thought, but it's my learnings from, you know, exactly what's happening here today, mate. Just learning heaps. You're just reinforcing and, 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 and helping me see breakthroughs. And I'm, I know you're doing it for our listeners, mate. I told you this was a high-quality podcast, <laughs> mate, and you are, you are just providing gem after gem after gem, you know. But I really do feel that the challenge is to learn how to modify our existence mm. in this, I, I never get the words right, potential empire building world, a potential pathway to someone else's definition of success world, mm. you know. And we've got we've to modify it by diluting busyness. And creating space for love and happiness and meaning to reign. Mm. Does that? Yeah. Yeah, mate, you're, you're nodding your head up and down. Yeah, very yeah, much. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Hey, um, there, there, there was, you, you've said a few times that family life was, was okay, but you've also made a couple of comments that there was aspects of it that wasn't ideal that maybe in hindsight, may have led you to become that young, gullible man who needed more, who was looking for something, you know, looking for uh, a gang to which he could attach himself so that he could belong. Um, what was part of your lifestyle as a child that didn't serve you? Um, I think the, the church frowned upon uh, or completely – disallowed forming any friendships outside of the church, the church Jehovah's Witnesses yeah um, so obviously I spent the entirety of primary school and high school um, not forming any connections uh, how, how's that I mean what's what's the framework there that stops you from well because you're not allowed to associate outside of bare necessities with anybody that's not 
A Jehovah's witness, yeah. So Jehovah means, just remind me, Jehovah. Jehovah's God's name in Hebrew, I believe. Oh, okay. Yeah. So this yep. is God's witness. Yeah, basically. Yeah, God's yeah, witnesses. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Yeah, right. So but uh so all it is all it did was make me very emotionally distant uh with people and because of that, um I I sort of never really found a sense of belonging. because uh, I didn't really connect. But how did you live that as a child? Like it's okay for the church, maybe even parents and home to say that. But when you actually go to school, like uh, as a kid, didn't you want to play with your mates? Yeah, of course, of course. And what I all I can imagine it will explain it as is um, imagine you imagine going to work and you only see the people you work with from uh, from you know, nine to five. And outside of that, you're not allowed to communicate with I got them you, at mate. all. I got you. So it becomes hard to form a friendship, uh, especially sort of later on when other kids are having sleepovers or, or catching up after school, right. or hanging out on the weekends. Cute I was doing parties and yeah, I was secondary doing school. None of that at all. So what it did instill was to become emotionally distant and, you know, Sort of, well, the situation happened with me is when I eventually later on in life left the church. Even my own family cut me off overnight at the drop of a hat. What age were you then? 18, just before I turned 18, actually. So um, they virtually cut me off. I I had a very strained relationship with my parents at 17. Right. um, Where I had left home already. And then. it would, it would have been about 18, just before I turned 19, that, I, that I'd left the church officially, and that was the moment where they completely cut me off. But emotionally, you left the church a lot earlier than that. Yeah, I yeah. I mean, well you, 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 you explained to me up at Joey's up there uh, while we are having a coffee that, um, you know, earlier on you were aware that, that there, was a, there was no synchronisation between no. you and the church. No. What age were you when you sort of like started to feel as if this just didn't serve you? Yeah, about 13, 14. Wow. I'd, I'd worked out that it was more the, the – it wasn't the, the belief in God wasn't the issue. It was the, um, the hypocritical nature of, of, of humans, of, of, you know. What hypocrisy people. did you see? Uh I think I explained when the Jehovah's Witnesses sort of live a minimalistic lifestyle, yeah. And uh, but the the definition of that minimalistic lifestyle varied depending on where you lived. You know, if you uh-huh. lived, if you lived in a in an affluent area like a like a Bondi or something like that, because I, I was you know spent most of my life in Western Sydney. Yeah. Uh, driving a Mercedes Benz or an Audi or a BMW or being a lawyer or a doctor is not frowned upon. It's just a normal part of life. But if if you went to the areas that I grew up in, like Blacktown and Greystones and Marylands, the western suburbs, if you turned up to church in a Mercedes Benz, in a nice new Mercedes Benz, the 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 elder elders of the church would pull you aside and say that this is very chauvinistical. You know, I don't think it's very appropriate that that's you know the type of image that you're yeah. portraying. And I just saw, that never sat well with me. Yeah, it it never made any sense to me as to why. The rules would be different, uh, you know. Little things like, uh, you you know, in the Jehovah's Witnesses in Australia, funnily enough, can't have a beard. Yeah, you're not allowed to have facial hair. You're not allowed yeah. to have a beard. But if you go to a Middle Eastern country or something like that, so, yeah, uh, 
in the same religion, yeah. read the same book, yeah. but you can have a beer. The, the moment where it was like an official church thing where I was no longer in the church, like a light switch, every person you've ever known, including my mum and dad, my brothers and sisters, cut me off instantly, right. overnight. Yeah. With no no qualms, no, there was not an issue because it, it over a period of time, this sort of mentality gets ingrained in you. And I, we spoke at Joey's about it. I feel it's, it is a form of control and it's a way of trying to control people because for most, I watched it all growing up in the church. You know, I was in it for first 17, eight, nearly 18 years of my life. Um, people would leave and then within a few months come back because they sort of, well, they lost all their friends. Wow. They lost all their family. Wow. They would be out in the in the the world yeah. for a short period of time. Yeah. But then, when the novelty wears off, because you got to form new friendships, yeah. it's just easier to come back. And yeah. I watched that a lot. Yeah, um, I was obviously I'd already made my mind up. I was a little bit more stubborn in, in the decision that I'd made. Yeah, but that's quite common. That's very common for people to leave for yeah. a short period of time and come back. And I think that's the, that's the reason why the isolation and the cutting off of communication and things like that is so strict yeah. because it sort of isolates, well, it forces it people. It isolates you, but then in the isolation, you want to come back hmm. to even for basic human need of, of, of social interaction, yeah. let alone then you you you've got to advocate the moral code that goes with it. Yeah, yeah and imagine yeah. you 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 know similar in my situation, your brothers and sisters don't talk to you based on the fact that you're not in the church or your parents stop talking to you. That's that's quite difficult to deal with, and and it's, would be a sticking point for a lot of people that would think, well, I'd rather just keep contact and relationships with with my family members at the least, and just go along with with you know going to church how did they do that but how does a mother i don't know how does a brother and a sister who you shared the same bedroom with uh how, how does that happen i don't know but that's strong mate. that's very, a strong conditioning very. yeah 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 what age were you when you wanted to leave the church 14 13 14 so yeah. how come you didn't get chucked out then my mum was going to chuck me out, yeah. Uh, I'd, I had a very long-winded conversation with my dad on the way to a church. It lasted for about three hours and it was quite a reasonable conversation. My dad was a reasonable person to talk to, but unfortunately he didn't make any of the decisions in the household. So we had a long conversation and I brought up the things that I just didn't believe and, and he sort of agreed with me and understood that that was, you know, he wasn't going to convince me otherwise. But then by the time we got home, he spoke to my mum and uh, my mum was – ready to kick me out of home at 14 and uh she'd done it to my older brother at 16 so i knew she wasn't she wasn't playing around his wasn't for not believing in the church his was for something else but uh she definitely didn't mess around and she had no qualms with kicking me out on the street so i you go along to get along you know until i found an out so so between 14 and 16 17 you're just you're just playing um uh, you're playing the facade. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, even at 14, you're being taught to play the facade. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So this, 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 this found, you know, I'm sure, you know, in life there are, there are other things, but this sounds pretty darn powerful influence and force creating isolation. We just used the word facadishness. Um, 
lack of lack of appreciation, lack of connection with other people, how much of a role do you think this played in you then finding some solace in the discovery of the gang? It's probably also the reason why I was, you know, bash me mates and stuff like that as well, because you, you know, even though I know that it was the wrong thing, it's like the emotional connection's not there. Um, and oh, it's wow. obviously also why the sense of belonging when it was found there, I sort of felt like I had a bit of a purpose and, I, you know, I was obviously it was somebody else's purpose and living by somebody else's values and morals. But I sort of felt that belonging that I didn't have from my family when I needed it the most. And, uh, yeah, so when, when you know, put in the wrong hands, it had detrimental effects because I was, you know, quite loyal to a fault yeah. unfortunately yeah but uh that conditioning is it's sort of just gradually it, it i guess the coercive control and the manipulation that i felt the church had put on me and my family and that had then transitioned quite effectively when it when it became you replaced a, a it with another church yeah, yeah basically so, the gang became the yeah the church yeah wow wow so dare i ask now, that was your experience of being growing up as a Jehovah Witness. How, therefore, do you look now upon the value or are you sceptical of their value of other religions? Um, the, I have a strong concept in, in God and creation. Uh, religion as a, like an institution, I, I struggle a lot with. Um, I find that across the board, I don't think it's unique to anybody. I think that a, a belief in God and a creator should be separated from actual religion um, because I feel there's too much uh, there's too much to gain from manipulating the system and there's there's too much uh, people you know power cor uh, absolute power corrupts absolutely you know and I think wow. that that's very true that uh unfortunately when people are put in positions of power especially within those types of institutions that more often than not it just gets manipulated for personal gain of whatever description that happens to be and uh, i think it sort of detracts from a belief in god mm. you're, you're virtually saying there that you 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 see religions as human made mm. um a, a, a little bit of control and it's it's there to create order mm. um when you would have loved it to have been an institution that that was there solely for the connection with god which of course tends to be this concept of the modern day where I hear all these young people. They say, oh, "I'm just letting the universe look after me," <laughs> and yeah. I and I keep on. I used to think, "Well, what the heck does all that mean?" You know what? I'm, but I'm actually starting to give it some um, some credence because it doesn't have those. I'm making up a Bernie word here: orderous, <laughs> or, or order making frameworks yep. of religion, and I think. Most of them are starting to acknowledge that that what they see is something that's greater than self. Mm -hmm. Call it God, 
you know, call it, I keep on referring to Star Wars, the force be with you, the essence, whatever it is. But they're happy to acknowledge that, but not acknowledging it in the frameworks of what many consider a human-made, man-made religion. Mm. Does that make yeah, yeah, that's that exactly resonating. Yeah, that's how I feel. That's yeah, exactly yeah, yeah, how yeah, I yeah, feel. Yeah, yeah. Hey, Nathan Flynn, you know what? Did I even mention your name at the start? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know whether I mentioned the surname of Flynn. Buddy, what a what a remarkable story, man. It's been an interesting life. <laughs> I know it's, you know, the question that's coming to mind is given where you're at now, do you have regrets? Um, You've got to hear the question rightly there. Given where yep. you are at now, would you be in this space now? No, I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't have be. not been for the journey that you've been on. I, th- I think I've, I've been asked this question framed in a slightly different way. Um, I wouldn't take anything back because – of where I am now. Yeah. But I'm a I'm a take the positives out of every situation type of person. I try and always look to see what I've Stop learned. Stop there, mate. You weren't always that person. Even well You are now. Okay, yeah. Even in the in the moment yeah. of let's say prison, I could see the benefit of what I was doing. There was obviously a lot of negative but I could see that I was starting to stand on my own two feet because yeah. I was forced to, um, and I was starting to mature as a as a as a person. So I focused not at every moment in life, but I focused always on the positive. Same with my when I left the church and everybody cut me off. Um, I'd I knew that if I was able to forge my own connections and it wasn't through the church that it would be longer lasting and it would be more genuine. So I always try and focus on the positives. And then I broke down after prison. I broke down every instance in my life where and like sort of what I got out of it, what I learned. And going to prison taught me a, a lot to change completely who I am into the man I am now. But being in the gang... It was the only time in my life where not a single positive thing came out of it. It was the only circumstance in my life where there was no – I didn't learn a life lesson. I didn't pick up some moral virtue. Nothing of any benefit, no positivity came out of that period of my life. There was positives that come out of prison. There was positives that come from before then. But that specifically if you isolate the – the time spent whilst with other gang members, I get it. never did I learn anything of any value, yeah. not once. We, we should make this comment inappropriate, but the odd part about it is, is being a member of the gang puts you in prison. Yeah. And yeah. The, prison, yeah. the prison right now may have been your life degree. Mm. It was your university mm. of, of life in that it made you – overcome the adversities that made you a programmed and conditioned young man and it blew all that apart. Mm. It was like a bomb and it just blasted that crap out of you. 
so that you can be the person that you are today. And oddly enough, the gang life put you there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. true, very true. I Is never it? looked at it that way. Oh, mate, that's why you're here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> very true. Hey, buddy, some loaded, uh, just a couple of loaded questions to, mm-hmm. to finish off on because you, you're, you're the right man to ask this, although you have said you feel as if you've been well-trained not to express um, emotions. However, I'm going to say this, mate, you expressing love, you do that. You do that in your presence. You do that in your rawness, your openness, in what you've given so much of you to the people that are listening to this podcast. So there's an emotion. You just don't speak about it in expressive ways. Well, well yet, anyway. Mm. You know. Yeah. So what is love now to you? How do you see the whole concept of love? What is it as a result of this 32-year-old journey you've been on? Uh, I think it's tied strongly to a sense of belonging, uh, an understanding of myself, um, more so than a surface-level actual long-term self-reflection of understanding who I am and what I appreciate in life. Uh, A large portion of that would come down to respect in my personal relationships. I value respect, say, from my wife more so than any other attribute, and that's how I feel love. Yeah. Uh, And then I feel that I show love by genuinely caring about the few, very few people that I have in my life yeah. uh, and and try, always trying to consciously making an effort to build, build them up to achieve what it is that they want to achieve. So I think love ties specifically to defining who I was as a person yeah. and understanding my values and then tying that in with respect yeah. is, is massive for me. What are your values? Don't, don't give us the whole list, mate, but what are the ones that come top of mind? Uh, I did this in um, a vision statement that I did through that uh, Inspiring Brighter Futures. But uh, family, trust, loyalty and honesty were the, were the four keys that I, that I wrote. Funnily enough, I uh, recently went through my vision statement before I did a, a presentation I did at, one of, at a high school. And the things that I'd wrote in that vision statement, which at the time, you know, were well worded and it was like a, I don't know, a far off vision of the person that I hope to become. Yeah. Tends to be literally who I think I've become right now, funnily wow. enough, yeah. in, a, in a short period of time. But yeah, honesty, loyalty, uh, trust and family were the, were the biggest. Three years from now, how will you be different? Uh, I hope to be... Uh, a bit more free of time. Uh, right now, I'm. We mentioned about being busy. Right now, I'm quite busy because I'm just trying to establish uh, financial security for my family. Um, but within three years, I hope to be in a position where I can. I have more time to spend with my family for longer periods of time rather yeah. than just a day here, a day there type of thing. Uh, and also free up some opportunity to, which I am taking quite seriously now, but it's the time is the constraint of, of setting up sort of programs for 
younger kids like myself at that point in my life who maybe don't know what their purpose is and mm. don't know how to reach their potential, mm. that that's where I would like to be within the next three years. Mm. Speak to us about the importance of you being that man. Why do you choose why do you want to choose to be the man who's going to give back to to other young people? Why is that so important? I think having positive role models is very rare. Yeah. Uh, my mentor was – uh, my wife and my mentor were the, the first two – Who's your mentor? Uh, ben, Ben Armstrong. Uh, so he was the first positive male role model who was a truly confident man that I'd ever met. Uh, and his – positive influence, even though it was in a very short period of time at the start, we're still quite close now. When you say at the start, start after prison? Correct. I'd only you, been out of prison for about four or five months when I met him. And you met Ben Armstrong? Correct. Coffee we, shop? Yeah. Went through a, a, a mentoring program with him. With and Johnny God? Johnny yeah, God? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then come out Inspiring the back Inspiring brighter futures, yeah. Come out the back end of it, a completely different person within within five, six weeks. So I was had a very clear path onto what I wanted to do and wow. how I was going to get there. It's taken, you know, a few bumps and a few detours sure. slightly as all and distractions. journeys. Yeah, yeah as yeah, all yeah. journeys in life do. But uh, he stuck the course and he, we still regularly keep in contact. Yeah. We're catching up this week actually. But uh, having that guiding sort of influence in my life of what you would imagine a father figure or what you would hope a father figure to be is what he ended up being for me, probably without even realizing it himself and uh, has changed the perspectives of what would be possible in my life now. What's the greatest thing he gave you? Confidence, belief. Genuine no. belief. No, confidence and belief is an outcome, mate. What did he actually give you that 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 that, that – that results in that confidence and belief. He, he, so resilience is it's channeling the resilience. I think we, where Joey's we talked about, I said about uh, you know a mentor being able to channel uh, for me channel yeah. life experiences and past trauma and 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 resilience of overcoming shitty times in my life. Uh, but he was able to channel it in a way of once I sort of defined what it is that I actually held of real, true, meaningful value. Once I defined that and then I set goals based on those things, he was able to, just in the way that he spoke to me and the way that he was able to make me think and the questions that he asked me, start to forge a, an actual strategy, a path as to how I was going to achieve the, those things. So he channeled the focus, channeled the resilience. I was already you know, partially there from my own journey, you know, and I'd left the crime aspect of life and, and I'd let that all go. So, you know, I'm halfway there. But without his influence and my wife's influence, I wouldn't – maybe I would have never gone back to jail. I would have never dabbled back in that lifestyle. But I would have never made something of my life. I would have never truly looked back and been proud of the things that I was able to achieve yeah. where with a positive influence, yeah. it's, it's – it, it, Me, three, four years ago, is a very, very different man. He refined your focus. He, yep. When I say refined or, de- or, or, or clarified it even more, mm. you, you said you were partially there. Mm. But in the discussions with him, 
whatever questions he was asking, whatever, mo- whatever role model he was, he was helping you see it even more clearly. Yeah. And it wasn't his focus. His questioning was allow you yeah. to identify what, what is your focus. Yeah. Can you ever remember one of the great questions he asked you that was just a, uh, an, in the, in, an in-the-face gobsmacker? Oh, I think more one of the big moments. One of the questions in there was um, like, "Who who do I view as a role model?" Yeah, and I'd never really thought about that. And it's yeah. funny because people can just say things, like, "Oh yeah, my dad" or whatever. But then when he said, "Okay, well, what about it? What about that person? Do you see is why why are they your role model? What are the characteristics that they have that you want to have? And yeah. why are they on a pedestal?" Yeah. And when I actually broke that down and thought about it, that's when it started to change how I was behaving and it sort of started to align with like, you know, we talked before the podcast about how you respond to emotions, you know, because I was lashing out all the time and, you know, resorted to violence and not necessarily always physical either. It could just be if you yell, I'll yell louder than you, you know, but once I was able to reflect and define what about these role models and these people that I look up to, what is it in their personality that I want to emulate? Why do I hold them on in high regard? And once I was able to start thinking about that, which obviously time is everything. Time's where we sort of stuck at at the start because you have to physically have the time to think about these things uninterrupted, which I did. I started to see the traits of my personality that needed to be adjusted. Yeah. And that's how I – that's what he was able to show me is, yeah. is that channeling of yeah the path that I was on. I was aimlessly going through life and I yeah. and I would have – I'm sure I would have been fine and I would have done my, my job every day. I would have I would have went to work. I would have come home. I would have had a very relatively normal life. But that's – that wasn't my purpose. But, geez, it's helpful when you can see things clearly. Yeah. 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 You know, and, and I use that word see um, specifically because I'm listening so carefully and and listeners, I get the benefit of actually watching the way Nathan is, is describing all this and uh, I've got I, – I, I, I can see this, Ben, helping you to see things mm. more clearly so that it becomes so crystal clear and it's not his. It, it belongs to you. He's mm. been a catalyst mm. for you seeing with such great clarity. Yeah. It's a very powerful force because how can you not head in the direction to what you see? Yeah. There's a lovely phrase is only what you see can you be. Mm. Yeah, very true. <laughs> you, can't, you can't be what you can't yeah. see. It's, yeah. As well as that comes down to a lot of the disaffected Youth and that that inspiring brighter future is trying to help is they don't see an alternate option to no, what they're doing no. and where they are and that's why people like Ben and like Johnny Godwin and yourself yeah. that if you can give another perspective on on an alternate lifestyle that generally comes from outside of the circle that those people are in then people can make a change yeah. while they're stuck in the moment and they don't have another option it's that's very right. very difficult yeah, for them stuck. to change yeah yeah yeah. yeah. Uh, single sentence, mate. I only want a single sentence now. What advice do you give? I'm going to go a father who's got a young teenage boy and the father is 
struggling with the you know the, the, the teenage boy who only ever gives you know one word answers. Um, the young boy appears to be a bit lost, as if he doesn't have a right to <laughs> at that age. But the father wants to be able to give that his young son, you know, something of value. What do you say to that father? The the best example is is leading by experience and leading by example. Yeah, that sharing sharing a Ben, not so much my own father, but a Ben role model. Uh, he'd achieve things in life that I looked up to and hoped to achieve myself. Yeah, and if, and if if as a father, new father myself. Yeah. Um, the the one thing that I want to instill in my son is is discipline and hard work is how you're going to get there but resilience is the key yeah resilience is what separates the successful people not yeah. doesn't have need to be financially but yeah. successful people from unsuccessful people yeah. in life i believe is resilience yeah. and if that's a if that's a skill that you can teach especially as a father teaching his son resilience you're going to set him up for for a very successful life in whatever that happens to be doesn't need to be financially. Doesn't need to be yeah. athletics. It yeah. can be absolutely anything. If that's the one bit of advice that I'm trying to live by is yeah. is to teach resilience and yeah. to understand that it's the struggle in life is where we grow. Yeah. So maybe the second piece of advice you might give your son, mate, is to learn how to write love letters. <laughs> <laughs> that too. That too. Don't don't shy well, away from the love letters. Well, you know, I I said that with with a with a half teasing, joking mindset there, but in fact, what occurs to me is the combination of both pieces of advice is actually the magic. Yeah. You know, one one is is how to play it a little bit in this world. Mm-hmm. Be focused, be resilient, um, be driven by what's important to you, but at the other time, don't lose heart. Mm, very you know? true. Yeah, don't lose heart. Um, last question, buddy. Um, you know, some of those kids that you speak to at schools, hey, how do you become happy? I'm not happy, you know. What, what's your suggestion for finding a little bit more happiness in my life? What do you suggest? Defining who you are as a person. That's there's been the catalyst for my change, and that's how I've become fulfilled and happy. Is understanding who I am as a person, not what other people think I should be, and what not what other people or what I watch on Instagram or TikTok, or as to what is a successful lifestyle and what would make me happy. Actually, genuinely work out what it is that you care about, mm. and only focus on that. You want to help these kids to 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 see more and become more. Mm. So the very kid who asked the question, who just received your answer, then sees you privately after your talk, and he he just says, "Well, how do, how do I how do I find out who I am? What's the first question you give to that kid that he or she must answer in order to go down the pathway of discovering?" Who I am. What do you care about? That's number one. Number one, you have to know what actually matters. Take everything away. Take money and all that aside. To all the materialistic, worldly things. What What is it that you actually care about? Mate, that was a gem. 
<laughs> that was an absolute gem. Here's the starting point, folks. What do you really care about? Nathan Flynn, here's my hope, mate, and I'm speaking selfishly. I hope this is not the last time, mate. I'm not talking necessarily about another podcast, although, you know, it's got to be room down the track, you know, when you you actually had the opportunity to put into action this teaching, coaching value that you've got for such young people to come back and uh, us to learn from how you taught and how you coached and 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 the successes um, or the value that you give to these young people it's going to be immense mate absolutely immense buddy at this stage however all as i can do is thank you ever so much on behalf of about five thousand maybe five and a half after this episode (laughs) i think it's a beauty it's a ripper you know um on behalf of all these listeners mate who who would have extracted so much value it's it's been absolutely riddled with uh Gold, silver, and bronze treasure, mate. Um, and I thank you ever so much, ever so much, pal, for being part of this, uh, as we call it, pal, a journey <laughs> with Bernie. <laughs> it was. It definitely was. <laughs> Thanks, Nathan. Thanks, Ever Bernie. so much, pal. Well, good people, what did you think of that episode? I don't know about you, but I just loved it. I just love hearing of people's journeys and their stories that allow us to be able to identify what strategies and actions, routines, disciplines, ways of seeing self in the world that we can consider so that you and I, through their story, can become a more loving human being. Now, glued to this particular episode, of course, is Chipster Lachlan Huddy. And our editor and producer is now going to deliver Chip's take-home pay, a four-minute summary of the actions and the strategies that you and I might consider in order to become that more loving human being. Hey, over to you, Chipster. Well, it's a singular delight to see you again, listeners. I'm Chip Huddy. This is Chip's take-home pay, and there's no room for waffle. So let's get to it. Letter writing. Now, both Nathan and Bernie expanded beautifully on the power of letter writing this week, and it really struck a chord with me, struck many chords, actually. Uh, So I want to start with some really practical take-home pay regarding letter writing. And what got me thinking about this was when Nathan spoke about how the giving of letters allowed his wife time and space to process the things he was writing to her about. Now, I love this because I've seen how powerful this kind of thing can be in real life. So just last year, uh, my wife and I had been managing my parents' racehorse spelling farm for the last seven years. Uh, We both decided the time had come to move on. Now, it had been a wonderful, challenging, difficult, rewarding, skin-thickening experience, but it was time for us to go. Uh, Now, my wife and I decided rather than drop this on mum and dad face-to-face or even over the phone, we'd write them a letter, thanking them, uh, explaining our reasoning, giving them time and and crucially giving them the privacy, the privacy to absorb it, to process uh, this big news uh, and to do what they needed to do. And you know what? It worked beautifully. No tears, no rending of clothes, no awkward silences, just pure, honest, thoughtful communication. Uh, 
so then we go on, we found a magnificent new manager for the place. We got him set up. He's been running the joint like a champion uh, for over a year now. Mum and dad could not be happier. So just to throw my modest weight behind what Bernie and Nathan have already said, letter writing, it is not an obsolete skill. Okay, second point now. Guys, this podcast really got me thinking about the power not just of letter writing, but of writing itself, just putting words down on paper. Uh, It reminded me of this fantastic old saying. Quite a few people have said variations of it, uh, but my personal favorite is Stephen King's version. And Stephen King once said, I write to know what I think. Because when you write, you're forced to put your thoughts in order. Right? You're sifting through all the noise of your unfiltered mind and you're turning that into words on the page. So it forces you to process and identify your thoughts. And that's really powerful. Okay, because when you can identify something, that's when you start to get control of it. And when you start to get control of your thoughts, that's the first step into true self-mastery. So writing can be such a valuable tool for that. Final thought for today. Uh, Again, it's about writing. Again, it's another Stephen King quote. I'm robbing the man blind today, but I I love this idea, and I think he puts it so well. So this was in an interview, I think, back in the 80s. Don't quote me, but I think it was the 80s. Uh, And Stephen King said, writing is an act of willed understanding. How good is that? An act of willed understanding. You're making yourself understand. You're consciously trying to expand your mind. How powerful an idea is that if you're writing about yourself, say, or even better, how powerful an idea is that when you're writing about others, willing yourself to understand others, to see them more clearly, more truthfully, more fairly. How much empathy could that build, do you think? How much love could that build? Now, am I very subtly urging you to consider taking up a journaling practice? You be the judge. But if you've bought yourself a notebook and covered a few pages by the time we meet again, you won't find me disappointed. All right, that's all from me, dear listeners. Thank you so much for your time. I hope you found some pay worth taking home. And as always, Auf Wiedersehen. Ah, that was gold here, people. That was Lachlan Huddy and Chip's take-home pay. Simple strategies, aren't they? Just humble suggestions taken specifically from this episode. And you know and I know that if we implement them into our lives, it's just going to help us to be happier, a more beautiful human being and a more loving one at that. And who doesn't want that happening in their lives? Oh, dear people, I do hope this episode of A Journey with Bernie had a positive impact upon you. I can't wait to deliver the next one. Hey, it's just around the corner. Please enjoy this journey of life. Embrace this journey. And in the meantime, dear people, just remember this.